I'm not Pastor Doug, just in case you're wondering. I'm Pastor Byron. Doug is uh, in Texas at an ordination for his son-in-law, so uh, praise God that he was able to do that. But we're going to be looking at the book of James again, so if you want to get out your Bible, why don't you uh, turn to the book of James one more time, and we're going to be continuing along in our series. <clears throat> a story is told of a young minister who'd been called to his first church by the board of elders. The elders thought they'd, just, they'd found just the right man for, that God wanted, and that first week he preached a wonderful sermon. Everybody thought, this man is the one that God has picked for our church, and they were excited. And so they, 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 they thought, okay, I can't wait to see what he's going to do next week. So next week he comes up, he cuts up to the pulpit, and he preaches the exact same sermon. Well, the people kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt, and they thought, well, maybe, you know, he got confused, and, and he was doing, you know, made a mistake. So the third week comes along, and he gets back up in the pulpit, and he preaches the exact same sermon, three weeks in a row. People start to talk in their groups, and they start to wonder, what's going on there? Why is he doing the same thing over and over again? And so they complain to the elders, and the elders get together and talk amongst themselves, and they say, well, we'll just wait and see. The fourth week comes up, and the pastor gets up, and he preaches the same sermon again. Well, this time, the board of elders said, we've got to do something about him. They call the pastor in. They sit him down, and they say, what are you doing? Why have you preached the same sermon four weeks in a row? And the pastor looked at him, and he said, have you put it into practice yet? And they were stunned because so many times that's exactly the way it is at church, isn't it? We don't put it into practice. Today, today we're going to be talking from the book of James about what it means to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And so if you're in the book of James, you can turn there to uh, James chapter 1 and we're going to be starting with uh, verse 21. I don't know why I'm nervous right now, but I'm nervous. Anyway. All right. The book of James has been called a how-to manual for Christian discipleship. It encourages readers to actively live out their commitment to Christ and to assist others who want to follow day by day. Uh, I remember reading one commentator saying that the book of James was like a string of pearls. They're one bit of wisdom, one pearl after the other, a pearl of wisdom. And that's what we've been seeing, isn't it? As Doug has been preaching through that, and as Dave has shared with us too, there's been pearls of wisdom, little things that, that we need to take and put into practice in our life. And that's what we're going to be talking about again today in verse 21 through 25. So if you want to take your Bible, let's read that together. <clears throat> Verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he had looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. And that first verse, verse 21, that was part of Doug's uh, uh, verses last week too, but he said that they were uh, part of the last part, but they're also part of this part too. Uh, <clears throat> We're to put off anything that hinders our walk with the Lord. We're to humbly receive the word of God, which is able to save our souls. And then he continues in the next three verses to unpack how we properly receive the word. How do you receive the word? Are we going to be hearers only? Or are we going to be doers of the word? Doug told us last week to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. We are to put off moral defilement and a malicious desire to hurt. We are to humble ourselves and really listen to the word. When we actively listen to God's word, we can either be a hearer or we can be a doer of the word. And let's look at first what it means to be a hearer of the word. So starting in verse 22, it says, prove yourselves doers of the word. I'm sorry. Yes. Prove yourselves doers of the words and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. And once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. See, this is talking about a hearer. James says that hearers delude themselves. They're bare hearers and self-deceivers. And the Greek word for delude there means to reason beside the point, to misjudge, to miscalculate, to deceive oneself, to cheat in reckoning, or to deceive through fallacious reasoning. You know, people who only hear, they miss the point of the word. They may have the outward appearance and the head knowledge, but they're not complete in their discipleship. And James goes on to illustrate this point about hearers only. He says, they're like people who look at themselves in a mirror. They look at themselves in a mirror and they, you know, a mirror is something that's supposed to show us our faults, show us our, our blemishes. Uh, and, and then the Word of God does the same thing to us. It shows us our sins. It shows us where we fall short of what God's standards are for us. But the hearer, they see their face, and then they just go on their way. They forget everything. They, they don't make a difference in it. They don't take what they've seen and put it into practice. They just go on and do what they were doing before. When we look into a mirror or theology that is um, <clears throat> established by our own standards, we look pretty good. If we're just looking at, at you know, well, I'm better than that guy. You know, that, that's a, a theology that's built by us. I, I, I'm not as bad as they are. I don't do all those bad things. I just do a little bad thing. We can come away and look at ourselves and think, well, we're okay. We're not as bad as everybody else. But see, that's not looking at the right mirror. 
The mirror of God's word is a perfect standard of living. And when we look at God's words, we always come away lacking. We always come away desperate in need of the Holy Spirit's help to live up to God's perfect law of liberty. Hearers never put into action what the word reveals. For the past 26 years, I've worked with um, multiply handicapped, medically fragile preschoolers. And, you know, some of them had very severe physical deformities. They had oversized heads. They had missing arms or legs, palsied legs that wouldn't be able to support them. Uh, You know, and the world looks at these kinds of kids, these kinds of people as freaks. In the past, they used to put them into freak shows and sideshows so that people would come and see, you know, the deformed kids. Now, that's not what we do today, praise God. You know, they used, they didn't have any choice in what they were, were born as, but they used what they had at their very best level. They did everything they could given their situation. And so I think also what this idea of hearers only means that, that uh, some people who are hearers only are spiritual freaks. They, they have this huge amount of head knowledge, but huge head on an atrophied body that doesn't do anything about what they know. That's what James is trying to say. Don't be one of these. Don't be one of these spiritual freaks that's filled with all this knowledge, but never does anything about it. You don't want to do that. Uh, Another example, uh, there's a a lake here in Southern California called the Salton Sea. You all familiar with that? In 1905, some engineers got together and they thought it would be good to bring some water from the Colorado River into the Imperial Valley for farming. And so they opened up a a floodgate uh, into the Imperial Valley, only it got broken. And torrential rains for two years from 1905 to 1907 filled up the basin of the Salton Basin uh, until finally the engineers were able to staunch the flow. And uh, at the end of that, there was a 400-mile lake in the middle of the desert that um, they called the Salton Sea. And for the past hundred years, the Salton Sea has been referred to as an endoric lake, meaning that its waters never discharge to the ocean. They neither seep into the ground or it evaporates. And because of that, uh, it has extremely high salinity level, higher than that of the Pacific Ocean. Um, And it continues to rise with time. In the 1950s and 60s, the salination levels were lower, and the Salton Sea was a a popular tourist spot, like this picture here. Greetings from the Salton Sea. I don't know if any of you ever used to go down there when when it was healthy and and vibrant. You know, Mary Beth's dad used to go down there and fish. We lived up in 29 Palms, but he'd come down to the Salton Sea, and he'd fish, and it was the greatest fishing, and, and it was just a beautiful lake. People came from miles around. It was, they had more tourists there than Yosemite Valley. It, it was one of the biggest tourist uh, attractions during the 40s, 50s, and 60s. But into the 70s, the rising salinity, shoreline flooding, and fertilizer runoff from nearby farmers 
made um, unsafe algal blooms, which gave rise to elevated bacterial levels. The chemical shift in the water caused a number of environmental problems, including the die-off of fish. There it is. And if you remember back in the 70s, this was a big issue. The, the fish started dying off, and then when the fish started dying off, the birds started dying off. There was a, a bacterial uh, disease that, uh, that came in. In one day, 640 birds were found dead uh, because of avian botulism. And it, it came from the infected dying fish. So things started to skyrocket, and the state of California and their wisdom got involved and said, we're going to do something about it. Yeah, they haven't done anything about it yet. They're still working on it. They still have uh, groups. They had a committee, and uh, the committee is still working on it. Some people still live there, but what's left today is a shadow of the lake in its golden age. And uh, now it's pretty much abandoned. And the idea that I wanted you to see here is that when there's no outflow from a lake, when there's nothing that, that takes it out in a healthy way, it dies. And that's what a hearer only does too. A person is, that, is like this type of lake that has no outlet. The water becomes stagnant and toxic. Too many people in the church are like this. They come to church every week to hear the word, but they never put it into practice. An old preacher used to say they used to come and sit and sour. <laughs> sit and sour. You don't want to be a hearer only. If all you do with the word of God is just hear it on Sunday morning and you don't put it into practice, you're going to be like that spiritual freak. You're going to be like that endoric lake. You're going to stagnate and you're not going to grow. And so James is saying it's very important. You can't be just a hearer of the word. You can't just do that. You've got to be a doer of the word. Amen? And so that's what he says next. In verse 25, he says, One who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, who abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. An effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. James urges us to become effectual doers of the words and not forgetful hearers. You know, the first thing that we need to do, it says that we need to look intently. You know, when, they, when the hearer is, then they look into the perfect, into the mirror, they're just glancing at it. They're not looking intently. And there's a difference in the verbs there, too. That first time, it's just a glance that you take at the mirror. But what James is, in, is saying, that we need to look intently into the Word, into the perfect law of liberty. We need to do more than just glance. We need to understand, intensely study and understand what God is saying to us through His Word. Jesus told us what the most important law was, right? Love God and love people. That's our phrase somewhere. I don't know where it is now. But it used to be around here somewhere, right? Is it still there or not? It's in, okay. So that's what we're supposed to do. Love God and love people. That's what, here, that's what doers do. They take that love and they start doing something about it. Um, 
Matthew Henry said it this way, The Word of God should be made our chief study, and what we hear and know of it, we must take care to practice. If you begin to do the Word, James tells us that we're going to be blessed in all that we do. Not some, all that we do. There's a promise there. When you become a doer of the Word, God is going to bless you in everything that you do. Blessedness doesn't allow knowing about things, but in doing it. It's not just profession, but it's possession of the Word of God. It's living it out. It's acting on it. You know, and Jesus told us about that too, didn't he? I want you to turn back to Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 7. And let's see what Jesus had to say about this same idea that James is letting us know. James heard this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. You know, we're all familiar with that. But you know what? The, the, one of the things I've learned about sermonizing and, and making a sermon is you save the best for last. You save the thing that's important and you say that just before you leave. And that's exactly what Jesus did with the Sermon on the Mount. This is the last section of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. And, and Jesus said this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears those wor- these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. And then Jesus finished his Sermon on the Mount. He wanted to leave them with that idea that we don't need to be just hearers only. We need to be doers of the Word. It's not enough just to hear it. We need to do. We need to act on the Word. You want to be wise? Act on the Word. If you don't, you're foolish. You're foolish. When the rains come, and they will, amen? The rains come, and they slam against you. And sometimes they seem overwhelming. But if you're doing the Word of God, if you're putting it into practice, then you will be blessed and you will stand and you won't fall. You won't have a great fall. That's what God wants us to do. We can either receive the Word in two ways, a hearer only, a deluded spiritual freak, a stagnant endoric lake of unapplied knowledge, or we can be a doer of the Word. C.S. Lewis contrasted hearers and doers this way. He said that doers practiced good pretending. And it's one of the ways we use our imaginations to further our holiness. Hearers practice bad pretending, which is simply hypocrisy. It's when we pretend to be something we are not. Good pretending is when we practice being who we already are in Christ legally and positionally, and who we one day will be in Christ morally and perfectly. 
It's a spirit-led attempt at consistency. Good pretending is when pretense leads up to the reality. And he says, it's what children do when they pretend to be grown up so that they can grow up. It's what Christians do in our pilgrim condition when we're told to do the word. Grow up! Pretend that it's true that you really are a child of God, that you really are what Jesus says you are, and start living that. Start doing it. Start making that a reality in your life. Don't just hear the word, but do the word. Amen? Amen. It's simple. We just need to do the word. And so what are you going to do with what you've heard this morning? Are you going to receive the word and do what it says? Or will you continue to deceive yourselves? You know, this concept is revolutionary. If believers actually did what the word says, there'd be revival in our land, the like of which we've never seen. Let me give you, let me leave you with three scriptures that you can meditate on that will help you to become doers of the word. Amen? So the first one is in 2 Timothy 2, 15. Some of you should already know that one, right? 2 Timothy 2, 15. Not 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Okay. I was going to say that didn't look right. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the Word of God. You know, folks, we need to study to show ourselves approved. Amen? We need to get this Word into us. Not just into us, but then out again. We need to become doers of the Word. It's not enough just to study and study and study and study, but it's study and do. Study and do. Study and do. You've got to make the word come to life. It has to be a reality. Accurately handling and acting upon the word makes us wise builders, makes us able to do what God wants us to do. Study the word. Amen? And then the second thing is found in John 15, verse 4. I'll get it. And it actually starts, it's the whole thing about Jesus being the vine. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that you may be able to bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. The key thing there, we need to abide in the vine. We need to be connected to the vine. You know, reach out and touch the person next to you. Now you're connected. We're connected with one another. We are the body of Christ. We are the vine. Amen. Amen? 
and we need to connect with one another, whether it's through grace groups or family groups or work groups or whatever. We need to connect with one another so that we can be part of the vine. We can't accomplish anything. We can't do anything unless we're part of the vine. And you know what the vine gives us? It gives us the sap from the roots. The Holy Spirit comes in us. The Holy Spirit enables us to do the work that God has called us to do, to do the Word. We've got to be connected to the vine so that we can have that daily filling of the Holy Spirit, that we need to come to Him and say, God, fill me again today with the Spirit. You know, you, you, you can't just do it once and have that enough. The vine's got to have that flowing through it, Amen. And so we've got to have that Holy Spirit. We need to be intimately connected with each other and with Christ in order for us to be effectual doers of the word, in order for us not to become something that, that we don't want to become. And then the, the last scripture, I oh know, is it the last scripture? Yeah, it is. Okay. Second Chronicles. <laughs> Sorry. Second Chronicles 7. And verse 14. And it says this, And my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. That's a promise from God's word. If my people will humble themselves and pray for our society day by day, we need to continue to pray for our society. We need to continue to pray for one another, but to pray for our society. Michael Brown, who wrote a book called Jezebel's War with America, in the latest Decision magazine, said this, The problem begins with us. My greatest concern is not so much the presence of darkness in society, but the absence of light. You are the light. So if we can have an awakening in our personal lives, if we can cry out for revival, it's not too late to turn the tide, but it will take divine intervention. We need to pray for God. We need to pray and receive the word and do the word and God will heal our land. Amen? We need to do that. And then uh, the last thing I want you to think about is not a scripture, but it was something that I, I talked to you about back in December in the last sermon that I did. It's called the 10-second rule. And it says this, Just do the next thing you're reasonably certain Jesus wants you to do and commit to do it immediately in the next 10 seconds before you change your mind. All day long, if you're connected to the vine, if you have the Holy Spirit flowing in you, if you're connected to one another, God is going to open up opportunities for you to do the word, to act on the word, to love people, to love them all the time. Those opportunities come up, but so many of us just say, well, I, I, they, we talk ourselves out of it. And the more time you take to talk yourself out of it, the more you're missing out on what God has for you. God wants to use us where we are 
to make a difference, to love people. And through that loving people, we're loving God. And there's five foundational principles to the, five, to the 10 second rule. One is when you're reasonably certain Jesus is asking you to do something, do it immediately. Procrastination is not your friend. You know, how many times have we talked ourselves out? I'm not the only one, right? Right? We talk ourselves out of it. We procrastinate away an opportunity that God has divinely appointed for us to love people, to do something for him, to act on his word, we talk ourselves out of it. Don't procrastinate. Do it in the next 10 seconds. If it comes into your mind, God wants you to do it and do it. The second thing, it gives us a place to begin again to follow Jesus. Are we going to fail at this? Yes, we are. We're going to talk ourselves out of it because we're people. And, and that's what we do. We have this sin nature and we're going to talk ourselves out of it. So begin again. You can just do it again. God doesn't keep count. I mean, you know, he does, but he doesn't hold it against us. Just keep doing it right now. And whenever you find yourself drifting spiritually, just come back and start again. The third thing is, and I've already said this, the more you know about the teaching of Jesus and the character of Jesus, the more confident you will become in following him. The more you know this word, the more confident you will become. Put it in, put it in, put it in. The fourth thing, the rule doesn't require that you be absolutely certain an impression is from God before you obey. The need for certainty is the enemy of obedience. Does God want us to be obedient? Amen. So do it. Don't, don't th overthink it. Don't try and, re you know, is this really from God? I don't know. Should I give that guy that dollar? Here he is. He's coming up on the side there. Should I give him a dollar? I don't know. Uh, no? Okay, he's gone. <laughs> right? We do that all the time. We miss out on opportunities. We don't have to be absolutely certain. Just do it. And God will make up the rest. God will do it. And then the fifth thing. Our Christian character is shaped less by your big, dramatic decisions than the cumulative impact of thousands of small acts of simple obedience. You want to live for Christ? You want to be a doer of the word? Then just step by step, start doing those things that God has called you to do. Those impressions that you get, start acting upon them. Start doing them. We need to become doers of the word, amen? not hearers only. Last week when I woke up, I kept hearing the words of this next song. And no matter what our personal circumstances, because we're all going through different things, aren't we? God has a plan, and this is part of it. He's going to finish what He started. Amen? Yeah. He's promised to finish what He started. He's not finished writing your story. It's not done. He's going to continue. So don't hide. Don't run. Do whatever he called you to do. Amen? Listen to this.
Amen. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? God's not done with you. He wants, to become, he wants you to become a doer of the word every day and in every way. Let him finish his story in you. God, we thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have the body of Christ with us, Lord, that we are connected one to another. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to be the doers, Lord, and not hearers only. And Father, I just give you praise for what you're doing in each and every life this morning. Bless us, Lord, as we become doers of the word. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And everyone said,